I really have gained more of an inner peace since I have moved abroad and being able to have, you know, a better quality of life, having to work less and being able to live more has really improved, I think, my outlook on life, my understanding of different cultures and drawn me closer to my husband, which all of that really brings me greater inner peace just as a person. Hey everyone, welcome to Flourish in the Foreign, the award-winning podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad, while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman currently based in Spain, and I am not only a podcaster, but I am also a business strategist who helps Black women and women of color leverage their talents and their expertise into viable and sustainable businesses, businesses that make them financially abundant while also professionally fulfilled, businesses that they can take abroad to cultivate a life well lived. That is what I do. So if you have an idea, a side hustle, a business that maybe is not as profitable as you'd like it to be, go ahead and download my Build a Business Abroad guide at flourishintheforeign.com slash resources and consider joining me in the next cohort of Build a Business Abroad group coaching. This award-winning podcast is a labor of love, but labor nonetheless. So I ask all of you to please support this here podcast if you like it, if you love it. You can support the podcast by joining the Flourish in the Foreign community where I house bonus content, past podcasts, guest interviews, and I also do coffee chats there. So join us there. You can join via the link in the description of this episode. You can become a Patreon of this podcast at patreon.com slash flourish foreign. You can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast and you have written a review for this podcast on any of the platforms that you may be listening on. So be it Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever, please rate the podcast five stars and leave me a review. And of course, please do continue sharing the podcast with your friends, your family, your associates, the colleagues that you like. Whomever, please share this podcast with them because that is how this podcast grows. All right, on to the next episode. Today's guest is Kentia McLemore, and she is a career strategy coach. She actually coaches women that feel undervalued and frustrated to leverage their talents to craft a career and lifestyle unique to them that fulfills their goal to work remotely or abroad. Kentia has studied in Mexico and lived abroad in Dominican Republic and Taiwan for a combined 10 years. She is fluent in Spanish and speaks some Mandarin and Indonesian. 
And when she's not coaching or writing, she enjoys traveling with her husband. Full disclosure, Kentia is a participant in my Build a Business Abroad group coaching. And through our work together, I just got to know Kentia and I just love her. I think she is so wonderful and so hilarious, but also just incredible at what she does. I also know that you all will enjoy this conversation so much, particularly because we talked about really what was her impetus in wanting to move abroad, how she navigated her desire to move abroad while dating and subsequently getting married we discussed what happens when a catastrophic event happens while you're abroad. Yes, a lot of people are trying to move abroad on a on a wish and a prayer and not really handling their business. And I think this conversation is going to have some people get their ducks in a row and go abroad in a manner that is going to be truly sustainable and best for them as well. Kintia and I also talked about the differences between living in the Dominican Republic and in Taiwan, but we also talked about how to actually land a remote job or a job abroad and what kind of strategy you need to be successful at it. As I mentioned before, this is her wheelhouse. So she knows what she's talking about and she has helped many people before to land their dream jobs abroad. And I am just a big advocate of uh, working with experts, y'all. <laughs> but I'm going to let Kintia tell you all about it. My name is Kintia McLemore. I am 46 years old. I'm uh, currently in Kaohsiung, Taiwan, and I'm originally from Beaumont, Texas. Well, I am biracial. My mother's white. My father's black. So growing up, I lived in the South. When I was really small, we lived in North Carolina, and then we moved to Beaumont, Texas, which is where I grew up. So I think in living in the South, being biracial, as I grew up, I really wanted to escape racism because with my family, wherever we seemed to go, including churches even, it, it was always a topic or something of concern to other people. But of course, within our home, it wasn't that big of a deal. So for me, Growing up as, as a biracial child, I just always got tired of hearing that question, what are you, when really I'm just a human being and my family is my family that I love. And so for me, going abroad, I think, allowed me to not have to answer that question anymore of what are you, but really the question I get abroad is, oh, where are you from? Just like every other person. I asked Kintia, where did she attend university and what did she study along with if she had the opportunity to study abroad? I attended Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. Um, I was actually the first in my 
family to go to college and originally started out studying accounting. And I had an internship in Houston with Coca-Cola in accounting, but I discovered that I hated accounting. So I ended up majoring in business and Spanish, and I had the opportunity to go abroad to Oaxaca, Mexico for summer school. And it was the most amazing experience. Of course, when I first got there, my goal really was to understand because I could read and write, but conversation was still a challenge for me. So I lived with a host family and I walked around the house with a dictionary talking to my host family and pretty much walked around the city of Oaxaca with my friend Sheila, where we learned Spanish with our dictionary and with the help of a lot of funny incidences. Being a lighter skinned black woman and my friend that I hung out with most of the time was Filipino. We were about the same shade and we kind of mixed in. It was interesting for us because the majority of the students that were within our program of study abroad from our university, they were Caucasian and then there was us. And so we did not have the same experiences that the other students did because we blended in, I guess, skin wise. But some of our classmates had experiences where they were basically shaken down for money and things like that because they looked different. So for us, we really didn't experience uh, that. And that was actually really nice. It was nice to feel like we blended in and it was not, I said, going back to that question of what are you, that that really wasn't something that I had to deal with. So I really enjoyed it. I'm always curious to learn about each of my guests' journey to living abroad, particularly at which point or what event truly planted the seeds of the idea of wanting to move abroad. And I'm always curious as to how those seeds are nurtured and at what point they finally take that leap and bet on themselves and go abroad. The seed was planted when I was a little girl and I saw Spain on TV. So I remember, I can see the, I think it was a documentary in my head. And I was like, I want to go there. And I remember telling my mother, I want to go there someday. And so then having the experience in college of going abroad to Mexico and really, although, you know, having experiences of getting sick from the food and uh, that type of thing, I really enjoyed every part of it. And then also falling in love with, of course, the Spanish language. I, I had that desire to go abroad, to be immersed in, uh, you know, different culture and learn about other cultures and how other people live. So for me, it was there, but then going into my career and getting into basically the rat race of that eight to five, 40 hours a week and being controlled by someone else, 
that really pushed me uh, to the point where I said, is this really the type of life that I want to lead? Is this the quality of life that I want? And the answer was no. And so I was in the midst of saving to move abroad and I met my husband. And so I was able to convince him that moving abroad was the way to go because our quality of life uh, could definitely be better. And so thankfully he agreed. And so we were able to go on the, the adventure of moving abroad together. So when we were dating, I mean, we, we only dated a year. So I was very upfront with him. I was like, I'm in the midst of planning to move abroad. This is where I want to go. This is what I'm going to do. So if you cannot get on board with that, then we should not continue uh, with this relationship. And so he was willing to get on board. He thought it was a bit crazy at first because his background, his parents were immigrants. And so his and his family uh, coming to America was the most wonderful thing in the world. Why would you want to leave? So it, it was an adjustment in thinking for him. But what we did was when we got married, because we had decided that we would go to Dominican Republic. So we visited. We visited every, I think it was around every six to eight months, really. And so we visited for four years. It took me a little bit longer uh, to get there than what I wanted. But eventually we were able to make that transition and move abroad permanently. I asked Kintia, what were her family's thoughts on her and her husband's desire to move and live abroad? Our parents on the surface were supportive, but they definitely had their concerns. And so they at times were, okay, no, this is a little crazy. But then they're your parents, they love you. And so they're like, if this is what you want to do, of course, we still love you, but we'd love for you to stay here. Other family members, yes, I had many comments about why would you give up your good job? But unbeknownst to them, I many times would cry at work because I was just really miserable. I really needed a break from uh, that rat race. So yeah, they, they thought we were crazy. I think our siblings, as far as my brother and my husband's sister, they have been way more supportive than our, our parents were. They're like, that's cool. I understand wanting to get away from the American dream, which is not really a dream. It's a nightmare from my standpoint. I think for me and my husband growing up, we were taught, I don't know if it's something that is actually said, or if it's just something you see in media, but you, you grow up, you go to college, you get a good job that is supposed to solve all of your problems and you get a house with a mortgage that they don't tell you about that part. And so basically you go into debt to live this life that basically only gives you life two days out of the week. I mean, Monday through Friday, you are working 
to pay all of your bills that the American dream is supposed to be giving you. You get home, you're tired by six o'clock after maybe, maybe seven, depending on where you live and what traffic is like. So you've got either from a 30 minute to, I know people who have two hour commutes in their car, which is a waste of time and your life. So you're, you're stuck in that four, five days a week. And then you're trying to cram in life, time with your family, time with your friends, vacations on only two days a week. So for me, it wasn't a dream. It, it was a nightmare to me because this is not the way I want to live my life. I want to have, you know, the freedom to go out to lunch with my friends and not have to rush and eat in 20 minutes so I can rush back to work. I want to be able to sit and hear about what's really going on in their lives and connect with them and have time on more than the weekend to go out with my husband. I actually calculated on one time I told my husband, I was like, did you know we only really see each other 10 hours within the week from Monday through Friday? That was the the max time that we would see each other based on our work schedules. So we really only had time together on Saturday and Sunday. So yeah. Kintia has always wanted to live abroad and it has been such a priority for her that even while she was dating her husband, she had to let him know, this is what the deal is, sir. Are you are you with it or are you not? And he was. They are happily married and then they start to prepare to move abroad. And so I asked Kintia, what were her preparations six months before departure? Well, the six months prior, we started downsizing. So we had moved actually to the DC area and had been living there for about a year and a half. So we had already downsized some because we knew that we were going to move abroad. We just didn't know how soon. We didn't have a date. So we downsized from a three-bedroom townhouse to a one-bedroom apartment. So that was the first step a year and a half before. And then when we were planning to leave and we actually had our date, I had a yard sale in front of my friend's house for a couple of days. And then we just started selling everything. We did ship a lot of stuff to Dominican Republic because in DR, in our visits, we found that quality of home items was not basically up to our standards, what we would like to have. So we chose to ship our bed along with mostly kitchen items and bedding, that type of stuff. And we did that over um, Thanksgiving weekend. It was very interesting because we lived in D.C., We shipped our stuff from Patterson, New Jersey, a friend that lived in DR and given us some information about shippers there. And so we packed all of our stuff, including some clothes, because we didn't want to have a lot of baggage on the plane. Uh, So we had boxes and then we rented this huge van and we tied our mattress to the top of our van (laughs) and we drove from... DC 
to Patterson, New Jersey to ship our stuff. So that was an adventure. We didn't go on 95. We went on the back roads because we had to be really careful with our mattress. (laughs) So that was the first of what me and my husband refer to as our P and K adventures. This first name starts with a P. So we did that and we were successful. And then we still hadn't given notice at work or anything. For about a month, we were sleeping on an air mattress in our apartment and we just had the basics of basics. And when we came back after that trip, we gave our notice and our employers were very surprised of, of course, but also some of our coworkers were excited for us, but they thought we were a bit crazy. We had planned to work online and we had some savings. My husband actually could have gone back to his job in the summertime because where he worked, they had a lot of extra work during the summer. So we had considered that we, we were just going to see how it went as far as online work, teaching English, because at that point, really for me, I was just burnt out. I did not want to do anything related to HR at that point. So that was the goal. And then once we left work and everything, we went to say goodbye to our families. So we went to North Carolina where my family and my husband's mom was, and we stayed about a week with them. And then we, we actually flew out of Florida, which is where my husband's father lived. And so we stayed some time with him and then took flight from Miami to DR. Of course, when we got to DR, we were super excited. Our friends met us at the airport and it actually was super late because we arrived like two o'clock in the morning. So we really couldn't celebrate, I guess, because it was so early, but it was just excitement of actually arriving and finally fulfilling the goal. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know what probably my next question is, right? After I ask about preparation and leaving your home country, the next question I usually ask is, what was it like settling in and, you know, the first year of living in this country? Well, for Kintia and her husband, tragedy really struck them almost immediately when they landed in the Dominican Republic. I want you all to listen very carefully to this next section because this section also emphasizes the importance of health care and health care insurance. A lot of people are given very bad advice on the internet about what type of health care insurance you can go abroad on or you can just pay out of pocket, or all this other kind of nonsense. We all believe that nothing can really happen to us. We're invincible. And that is just not true at all. Accidents are called accidents. You aren't expecting them. This next part of Kintia and her husband's journey, I believe, is really testimony to that. So please listen carefully. So we arrived on the 25th. December. And within that week, we received some news that residency laws were changing within Dominican Republic. And so we had planned to just do maybe some visa runs, run back to Miami. But when we found out that 
the uh, laws were changing, we just decided to go ahead and apply for our residency because that would allow us to stay in the country without having to be concerned about doing visa runs. And so my husband went, was the 31st of December, went to the bank early to make a deposit for the payment of a residency. But on the way to the bank, he actually had an accident. He was hit by a car. He was on a scooter. And so that actually led to a series of events. He was transferred first to a public hospital and no one knew where he was. Thankfully, he remembered uh, a phone number of our friend. And so someone was able to give him a call because when the first hospital he was transferred to, they told him that a doctor would be there in three hours, but he was bleeding quite a lot from his his ankle, his foot, which was injured. And so he knew that if he were to have to wait three hours, that it would be too late for him. So thankfully he was able to recall our friend's number and someone got a hold of him and he was able to come with his wife and they transferred him actually to a trauma hospital, which was right outside of the city we were living in, in La Vega. And so when he was transferred there, of course he had surgery and one of our friends had a friend in Santo Domingo that was an orthopedic uh, specialist. And so I was able to speak with that doctor who advised me that it was really best based on the injury that my husband had that we returned to Miami because the quality of care that he would get in Miami would be better and it would potentially be able to save his foot because at that point, the thought was that he would have to have an amputation. So Kintia and her husband are in the Dominican Republic, not even a week when her husband unfortunately gets into a terrible scooter accident and has to then be taken to Miami for medical treatment. Now, we're going to pick up with the story about what happened. I'm not going to leave you in suspense, but I did want to take this time to ask Kintia about the Dominican Republic healthcare, what her thoughts were on it, and how she navigated that system. So it's a pay-as-you-go system. Uh, There is a national health plan for citizens, but otherwise, if you are a foreigner, it's a pay-as-you-go. I'm sure that there are some maybe supplemental plans that you could purchase, but we actually had planned to you know, make trips back to the U.S. for regular checkups, but we also did recognize that living in a country where scooters are super popular and laws of driving are not necessarily always adhered to. Sometimes the red lights don't work and that type of thing. We, we, we did plan for a catastrophic event. So we did maintain health insurance in the U S and so the quality of care, I would say that they do the best that they can, but it's, 
they don't have access to the type of technology, MRIs and that type of thing that you would have in the U.S. that that we're used to. So when my husband came out of the surgery, for example, now granted they did a great job of cleaning his foot and getting his ankle set. But when he came out of the surgery, he had a huge, basically soft cast. Now, in comparison, when he went to Miami, they were able to clean it and they placed a metal brace on his leg where they had screws in his bone and you know, kept the injury open. So technology-wise, there's no comparison. He ended up having 13 surgeries and having one of his muscles from his abdomen removed to reconstruct his heel of his foot. So that was not possible in Dominican Republic. They did not have the expertise or the technology to complete that. So the doctors did the best that they could, but it's just not a place that would be able to save his foot, which is what happened when we returned to Miami. He was in the hospital for three months. And like I said, with 13 surgeries, but he walks today. He can't run, but he can walk and he has a little arthritis in his ankle, but that definitely would not have have happened if we had a state in Dominican Republic. Healthcare is super important. I've mentioned it several times in this episode, but also throughout this podcast on any platform that I have been asked to speak on. I am a big believer in really understanding what healthcare system you are moving into if you have access to it. I believe there's sometimes a generalization that healthcare is automatically better and or more affordable just outside of the United States. And I think those generalizations can really be detrimental. Healthcare is individualized. You need to understand what country you're moving to and what they have to offer specifically for you, for your needs. For example, if you have chronic illness and what does affordable mean? Do you have access to their national healthcare system? And if you don't, what are the private healthcare options? What does the insurance look like? And what does paying out of pocket really mean? And I think with the pandemic, a lot of these expenses that may have been quote unquote cheap, whatever that means, have risen substantially and can be quite shocking, especially if you are asked to pay all of it upfront in cash, no credit cards. So, I asked Kintia to share more on her thoughts about healthcare, not only because of her experience dealing with healthcare in the Dominican Republic and the accident her husband went through, but also because of her profession. She has worked in HR for many, many years. She understands benefits. She has an amazing working knowledge of healthcare, and she obviously understands it very well living in both the Dominican Republic and in Taiwan. So I asked Kintia to give her thoughts on how to properly assess healthcare insurance when you go abroad. Health insurance, of course, is important because unfortunately, we all get sick at one point or another. And 
a lot of times it's at the most inconvenient time uh, that it will happen. I mean, look at the example with what happened with my husband. So it's super important to understand the healthcare availability for a country that you're targeting and you would like to move to. And it's important also to understand if you are planning to use travel insurance, what it does and does not cover. Travel insurance normally is just in the case that something happens. And there are different levels of coverage that you can purchase. And if you have not purchased the proper coverage and you have a major catastrophe while traveling abroad, you could end up being in a lot of debt and you're going to have some issues because if you have an accident abroad, you're going to have to pay up front for that cost. For example, with my husband, when I planned to discharge him, there was a bill and I had to pay it in cash at that time. And there was no option for credit card or anything else. It had to be in cash. So health insurance is is super important. I, I would not advise anyone who is going abroad to live to just have a travel insurance plan because that is not really a plan. That is just something that is available for accidents only. And heaven forbid you have to be evacuated and you didn't add that coverage to your travel plan that can call the whole other can of worms to, to kind of come open. So when you are planning to move to another country, it's important to understand should you buy health care, international expat care for your coverage in that country, or will you have the possibility to be eligible to participate in whatever plans are available in your new home country. And the reason you want to have the understanding and know about that is, first of all, if you have any health conditions, those are things that you need to consider and medication and what the cost will be and what coverage it will provide you. And if you are going to use the healthcare in another country, what are the considerations as far as pre-existing conditions and that type of thing. From my experience, I think normally moving outside of the U.S. as far as cost goes, normally insurance cost in another country is going to be a lot cheaper than what it is in the U.S. But you also want to have the consideration of should you keep your health insurance in the U.S.? Depending on where you go, for example, when we moved to Dominican Republic, we knew that the quality of care didn't match our standards. So we maintained uh, a policy for coverage in the U.S. So there's a lot of caveats that can occur with health insurance, but it is definitely something that needs to be researched in detail and you have to be specific about the country and sometimes even the location within that country that you're going to, to make sure that 
there's availability of care if you do plan on receiving services there. You can find more information about that on my website at targetedfit.com. All right, let's pick up with the story. So Kentia and her husband are in Miami where he is getting treated for a really severe injury that happened while he was in the Dominican Republic. So I asked Kentia, how long were they in Miami and what did they decide to do next? After actually a year, we returned because it took my husband nine months to walk after the the three months stay in the hospital. So we had shipped our life to Dominican Republic and we had plans and we did not want to go back. We wanted to go forward. And so we decided that we were going to return. We would see how it went. So when we returned, we really weren't sure if it would be something long-term or not, just because you know, for my husband emotionally, how would he handle it and being in the same uh, city? Because it was really traumatic uh, for him since he he almost died. Our family thought we were crazy. So they did not want us to go back. They thought you guys just need to go sell your stuff and come right on back. But we were determined to not let that uh, deter us from, you know, what good could have come from us being in Dominican Republic. And so we really wanted to go and see what life could be there. We ended up living in DR for three years. We lived in La Vega for two and decided we really were not uh, small town people. We moved uh, into Santiago for a year and we loved it. We had an awesome experience there. We made a lot of great memories with friends and people that, of course, we consider to be our family and we still keep in touch with them. So it it really was amazing. We're so glad that we decided to not let that deter us, but to to continue on with our choice and, and return. So Kintia and her husband are currently in Taiwan. I was curious to know, when and why they decided to leave the Dominican Republic and just how they came to land on Taiwan as their next country. When you move abroad, I think you learn what your limitations are. And Dominican Republic has a lot of challenges in day-to-day life. You, you have to be careful about where you go and because of crime, that type of thing. You have to make adjustments for having electricity outages and water concerns, cleaning food well and making sure you, you know, don't get sick. But for us, those things really weren't initially a huge uh, concern. Now, as time went on, the crime issue did become a little bit more of a concern for us. So that did come into play in our decision to leave. But also there was a drought. And so with the drought, the area that we lived in, we did not receive water. 
that went on for about six months. So it was a matter of having to go and buy water to do everything, to flush the toilet, to take a shower. Really, it was a bucket shower and that type of thing. And so for us, we were already starting to be concerned about certain crimes being on the rise. And then with the drought, that really kind of pushed us to the point of uh, deciding, okay, we don't want to go back to the U.S. We enjoy living abroad. But at the moment, this is not a place for us. So where can we go? And we ended up meeting a friend when we were visiting family in North Carolina who was from Taiwan. I had been researching Asia online already uh, and just looking for quality of life. My husband and I made a list of things that we wanted as far as quality of life. We wanted to live in a city. We didn't want to have to own a car. We wanted good health care where we were not concerned about going to the doctor where they spoke English. And Taiwan really checked all the boxes. And when I met this friend of a friend, she was actually from the city that we live in now in Kaohsiung. She invited us to come and visit. We just came and we visited for five weeks, loved it. Uh, didn't want to go back to DR, but we did. Went back and pretty much sold everything in a month and then made the move to Taiwan. I wanted to know what was the preparation like for this move to Taiwan? How was it different than their move to the Dominican Republic? And always the important question, what was the visa process like? Taiwan was a little bit different. Actually, when we decided to move, like I said, we had this, our checklist was different because when we moved to the Dominican Republic, I think we were more of, at least I was, I was like, it was adventurous and I was just ready to go abroad. But in coming to Taiwan, we really knew what type of place we wanted. So since we had come and we knew what it was, we were super excited. We, again, we sold everything in Dominican Republic. We did go back to visit family and actually, during that time, we we had planned to stay just a couple of months to visit family, but we ended up staying six months because my my husband's mother actually ended up passing away at that time. She went into hospice, so that was a bit, a bit of a challenge. But we were glad we were able to stay during that time with her, and then we once we were able to care for the family's needs and all of that. We left and we were excited and nervous because we did not speak Mandarin, but we knew from our experience before that we would still be able to get around with our English, but still with the goal of learning the local language. Because of course, if you learn the local language, that really is the way you're able to connect with people and understand what's going on around you and make friends and that type of thing. So I think it's really important that when you do go to another country that you make the effort to learn their language because you are the guest in their country. And so I don't think that others should make adjustments for you, but 
I should make adjustments for the culture and the place that I'm in. Definitely ended up making the effort to learn Mandarin in order to, like I said, to acclimate and learn more about the culture and be able to live here. Now, visa-wise, what we did was... My husband had a business and we had our LLC established in the U.S. And we have for Taiwan a branch office visa. I had done some research and on our visit while here and found out the requirements, went to immigration and got the list of things that we needed and connected with an accountant who that's the professional that can assist you with the visa process in Taiwan. And I had already during that time in the States gathered the documentation that we needed for Taiwan. They require that you initiate the visa process when you are in the country. So you have to come here to initiate it. It was really simple. We just had to have our LLC documentation and we had to have it the apostille stamp. And then we had to, basically my husband had to write a letter for himself that said he was going to be the representative in the office in Taiwan. We had to have that notarized and apostilled as well. We brought that here. And with those documents, we were able to establish or register his business here in Taiwan. And then he was issued a work permit and The work permit can be at the moment from one to three years. We initially got a three-year approval. It's pretty simple. He has to make sure that he is making an effort to uh, do business with other businesses in Taiwan. That's the goal of that type of visa. And so he just documents his interactions. And then we were able to get a renewal And we have actually been here six years in May. And very soon, he actually will be applying for permanent residency. And he'll be able to do that. And then at that point, he will not really be tied to his business or anything. He will, you know, just have an open work permit. He could actually go if he wanted and just get a job anywhere in Taiwan. And of course, as long as he continues to pay his taxes, he can just continue to renew every five years. And of course, I have a visa based on his visa as a spouse and mine is renewed along with his visa. Hey, I hope that you are enjoying this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And if you are, please consider supporting the podcast by either becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash flourish foreign, tipping the podcast via cash app at dollar sign flourish foreign, or buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign, or purchasing a piece of production equipment via our Amazon wishlist at flourishintheforeign.com slash support. I also want to invite you all to check out the plethora of resources that I've compiled for you all at the website flourishintheforeign.com slash resources. You will find a book list to help you get, stay, and thrive abroad, as well as the build a business abroad guide and moving abroad with intention guide. All right. Let's continue the show. 
continue to describe what landing in Taiwan was like for her and her husband and what those first couple of months of getting acquainted with the country were like for them. When we came here, our friend that we had met, of course, she was uh, super hospitable and, and helped us. She met us at the airport and introduced us to other friends and we were able to find an apartment initially because we actually had visited. We had met a couple that actually were Dominican. And so they ended up allowing us to stay with them our first month here while we looked for an apartment. So I really highly suggest going to the country first and visiting and making connections because that really does help when you come to really get set up. And so for us, once we got here, then we were able to figure out, okay, how do we go and find an apartment? What are the, the local websites? And in Taiwan, you really, it's a lot easier if you use a real estate agent for rentals because it's not in the U.S. where organizations or companies own apartment complexes. The apartments really and the homes, they're all individually owned. So you really have to either connect with a real estate agent or with the owner of a, an apartment. So it's easier to get through a real estate agent because then you have access to multiple, multiple apartments that you can view. And it was Getting set up was really kind of easy. I mean, you basically go with a real estate agent, find the apartment that you like, and then you have to pay two months deposit uh, up front plus your first month's rent. But the owners of the apartments normally just keep the lights and the gas and water in their name. Some of them will put the internet as well in their name, but some will not. So we did have to go set that up on our own. But at the cable company, they spoke English. So it was, it was pretty easy to, to go through that process. But yeah, so once we got our, once our friend helped us with understanding the process and we were able to get the real, right real estate agent and they find an apartment we signed our lease. So our utilities and everything were already set up. So we were able to just move right in. And then we went and set up our cable and got our cell phones and we were good to go. I always say it's definitely not about moving abroad or just being abroad. It's about thriving abroad. And part of thriving is usually predicated by a moment of feeling settled in the country. And for each and every one of my guests and anyone I've met, that timeline can vary from months to years to specific moments that people experience. And so I asked Kintia, what was it like settling into Taiwan? And when did her and her husband actually feel settled? So I think because we were in Dominican Republic before, the things in Taiwan went a lot smoother. They're less time consuming to set up. So we were super excited. I remember 
just setting up the cable and they were, yeah, you can get up to this many download and that many upload and we're, this is amazing. And it's only 30 bucks. We're so excited. I think it was for us, the biggest thing was food, getting used to buying things seasonally because the vegetables here are seasonal, going to the local markets and learning what the times are because there's day markets and there's night markets. And during the day, you can buy vegetables and clothing. And at night, it's more fast food and that type of thing. So I really think because things are super efficient here, they have the, we and we don't have a car here. That made life a lot easier and not having to worry about how to get that registered and all of that. We use public transportation So we use the subway, we use the, at first we use the bus, but we don't use that much more anymore. We take the local bikes, they call them U-bikes, or we take Uber because it's super cheap. So the, the, I guess, transition to -to day-to-day life, the biggest thing was the food thing and finding things that we liked and finding the places because you really can't go to all like a one-stop shop Walmart to buy everything that we would want to have at home. Because we do end up cooking a lot because unfortunately our idea of what we thought Taiwanese food would be would be more of a Cantonese style, but it's not. So for me and my husband, we've had to make that adjustment. But yeah, I think it was a lot easier for us in that day-to-day transition. And then just making it feel home is really just making friends and making the effort to get to know people, making the effort to, even though our Chinese was basic, but really still making that effort to speak. Because even though you don't speak the language fluently, the local people really do appreciate that. And I feel it makes them kind of reach out to you more when they see you struggle and they're like, oh, this person is really trying to get to know my language. They're really trying to learn. Then that makes them feel a little more freer about also speaking their English and so communicating and and forming friendships. And then, of course, there's also local expat community as well. So you you still do need to have those friends that you know you can relate to as far as oh my gosh they don't have Reese's cups and why not so you have to have those people as well that you can talk to but i think for us it 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 did take us probably about a year to just get acclimated to finding things and making friends but for the most part, it was really, it's been really easy and smooth. Let's continue this running theme in this episode of healthcare with the all important question of what is the healthcare system like in Taiwan? Taiwan does have a national healthcare system and I have made use of it um, quite a bit in the last year. And for me, it's amazing. It's just, it's just being, as far as care goes, it's just like being in the States. I mean, technology is the same. I recently had an MRI. It was the exact same as when I was in the States. 
My doctors all speak English. In Taiwan, when they're writing their notes and everything in the system, everything has to be in English. And I actually had a friend that was studying here locally, medical technology, and she told me that they do do most of the trainings in the medical field in English. So the doctors speak English, even though some of them are a little reluctant at times, maybe because they haven't practiced in a little while. But yeah, the the care is is awesome. And all the doctors, at least for my experience, have been super helpful and understanding and really wanting to help you if you have an issue, helping you find out what what's wrong with you. And the costs for me and my husband, we pay, I think it's, we pay a hundred bucks a month for the both of us. And that's for access to the national healthcare system. And for example, if you go to the emergency room, just in a cost for that, everything that you have done, including all the tests, the medication, that is $27. And then your average cost for a doctor's visit is, I think it's $7. So in comparison to the United States, it's amazing. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Kintia is a career strategy coach. She has extensive experience. And I also mentioned that she was a participant in the Build a Business Abroad group coaching program. So I did ask her to share with all of you what is it that she does? Who is it that she helps? And how does she help people land remote jobs and jobs abroad? My focus is working with women who are basically fed up and frustrated with their day-to-day life. They feel undervalued in their job. They are possibly in a toxic environment where they dump their coworkers and they're really in need of making a transition to something new, but they're not quite sure either what that is or how to do it. And for me personally, I have definitely been in that situation. I mentioned before, there were days uh, that I was stuck in a cubicle and I would cry because I was, this just can't be all there is to life. But I do have a background uh, in human resources and I have also been doing career coaching for the past six years working remotely. And so I work with women to help them make that transition, especially for those women who are looking to make that transition career wise and gain a better uh, quality of life and maybe looking to work either remotely or to transition into a job abroad or working remotely abroad. I've been there, done that. That's why I am focused on this specific demographic because I have worked with so many clients who have been in the same situation where they really need guidance and help to really define what is it that they want to do and what will really bring them not only happiness in their career, 
but happiness in their life completely. What, because a career is a wonderful thing and it gives us our way of making money and and living. And of course we want to enjoy what we're doing, but we also want to be able to enjoy our life in general and be able to go out and have lunch with our friends and have dinner with our husband and not see him for just 10 hours a week. So that's really what my focus is. And so I offer career coaching services as well as resume writing and LinkedIn writing and optimization services. So using those tools to help these women find that change in career and find a position that really makes them feel valued where they're receiving the pay that they deserve for what they're doing and what their skills are. And it's something that they enjoy doing on a day-to-day basis. Ask Kintia to give all of you some free 99 career advice for all of you who are wishing, hoping, striving to either land a remote job or work abroad. I think one of the things is just thinking that you don't have the skills or qualifications for the job. A lot of times women, we really don't give ourselves credit for the things that we've done. A lot of women say to me, well, I'm just doing my job, but there are skills that are connected to you being able to do your job. And so recognizing those and being willing to put yourself out there and pivot into something new. Also, I think on resumes, not catering to the particular job that you are applying for. A lot of times people want to do a resume that covers four different types of jobs that they're interested in. Maybe they want to be a project coordinator, but they also want to be a real estate agent, but they also have some bookkeeping experience. And then they've also got a side hustle for uh, pet care. So they want to include all of that within their resume. And then they're wondering why did I not get a call back for that particular job? And really that's for a remote job or pretty much (laughs) any job. They really have to be specific about the type of job uh, that they're targeting and then create a campaign. I call it a job campaign with all of the tools that they're using to represent themselves when looking for a job that would be in their resume, on their LinkedIn profile, and then applying for jobs, you know, that are specific to one area. Perhaps your interest in going abroad and working abroad is that you've heard about these fabulous, all-inclusive relocation packages, compensation packages that are attached to some of these international positions. And perhaps you've also heard that maybe the extravagance of some of these compensation packages in particular industries are just not 
not as extravagant as they once were. And so maybe you are feeling confused as to how to really assess a compensation package, especially if you decide to move to a emerging economy that maybe the dollars and cents are not the dollars and cents you're used to, but perhaps the other benefits might actually be enticing for you. So I ask Intia, how do you assess a compensation package? In regards to compensation, really prior to the job search, my clients, what I encourage them to do is go through what their needs are, not only right now, but in the future. And also they have to look at all parts of their life. So for example, if they're looking for uh, a position abroad, they need to take into consideration if I move abroad and something happens with my parents, okay, what what's going to happen? Am I going to be able to take time off? Who's going to pay for that flight? What types of benefits can you offer me to assist me in those areas? So it's not just the same as, okay, I want to know what is my salary, but also looking at what those additional benefits are as far as pension, if you're going to a country that offers that, are they going to cover costs for you to return home? What will be your cost in regards to health care, and then also your living arrangements, what would be the benefits of that as well. Now, that can be very different depending on how you're approaching a job. If you are approaching a job from within a company that you're already working with, a lot of times the flights and maybe the housing would be something that's covered. But if you're going to approach looking for a job directly outside of the country, the benefits may be a little less. And then that's where you want to make sure that your compensation is going to allow you to pay for those additional costs as far as returning home or maintaining your life insurance, for example, that you have at home, or if you have retirement funds that you're contributing to or investments that you regularly contribute to for retirement, those are things that you have to take into consideration. So really with my clients, what I like to do is to start with them up front before they start the process of looking for uh, a job. We need to sit down and go through what their needs are in their personal situation before they actually start that job search so that they already know what their requirements will be. I asked Kintia, what is her personal definition of wellness and how has that definition, that concept, that practice of wellness evolved throughout her many years of living abroad? When I think wellness, I really think about inner peace. And I really have gained more of an inner peace since I have moved abroad and being able to have 
you know, a better quality of life, having to work less and being able to live more has really improved, I think, my outlook on life, my understanding of different cultures, and drawn me closer to my husband, which all of that really brings me greater inner peace just as a person. Thank you so much, Kintia, for sharing your story and your amazing advice on health insurance and getting a job abroad. If you all enjoyed listening to Kintia, you can keep up with her via social media. My website is targetedfit.com and they can also find me on my YouTube channel which is Targeted Fit Career Consulting and also on IG at Targeted Fit Career. Thank you again, Kintia. And if you all would like to learn more about Kintia, you can by visiting her show notes page at flourishintheforeign.com slash Kintia. As you probably all know, if you're not new to the show, I do have a course called Moving Abroad with Intention. And the next cohort of that course will be starting this summer 2022. So if you are interested in moving abroad with intention, and what does that mean? It's about getting clear and confident about your move abroad. It's about also really understanding all of the moving pieces of moving abroad. And if you want to do it within a community of warm and supportive people, join the course. And I also have another cohort of Build a Business Abroad, my beloved group coaching program. The next cohort of that program will also be starting this summer 2022. So if you are interested in really turning your idea into a business or turning your side hustle into a full-time business that makes you not only professionally fulfilled, but also financially abundant while you pursue a thriving life abroad. Stay tuned for more information on joining me and the rest of the Build a Business Abroad crew. It is something that I love so much and I would love to have you. As always, thanks to Zachary Higgs for producing the music of this here podcast. And if you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to support this podcast. You can do so by sharing this podcast with all your friends and all your family, leaving a review. And of course, you can always become a Patreon. You can also cash up the podcast at dollar sign flourish foreign and all that jazz. And remember, it's not about moving abroad. It's definitely not about being abroad. It's about thriving abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See you next time. Bye. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. Hey, I'm not in my own country. I'm in another country. And if I'm going to experience this country, I have to treat it as if I am in someone's house. And I also had to remind myself that 
We are in a house with our families, our mom, our dad, our brothers and sisters, and we don't all get along. Along well, we have to find what works for us. So it started with that mentality, like realizing that I'm in someone else's house and there's nothing I can change about it and they like it like this.